Hi, I'm Kaylee Moore. And I'm Emma Samasco. Welcome to Freelance Writing Coach, your new go-to podcast for building a freelance writing business. In each 20-minute episode, we'll do a deep dive into one area of business with the hope that our insights as successful freelance writers will educate and inspire you. This season of Freelance Writing Coach is sponsored by Select Few. Select Few provides transparent, flexible marketing teams made of pre-vetted freelancers. Establish action plans, discover missing pieces, and then build and manage a team of pros in everything from copywriting to Facebook ads to web design and outsourced sales. No white labeling, no markups, just flexible teams of expert marketers ready to get to work. If you run a business and need help with marketing, head to selectfew.co. And if you're a pro freelancer looking to work with new clients, head to the same address or send an email over to team at selectfew.co. Tell them Kaylee and Emma sent you. I hear from a lot of people that work in-house at companies that they hate freelance writers. And I know that it doesn't have to be that way because so many of my clients love working with me and they love working with Kaylee. And I know many freelance writers that run a great business and are super likable and make somebody's job easier. But today we want to talk about why companies hate most freelance writers and how to be likable. Like, how can you be a freelance writer that companies want to work with? They want to pay. They keep coming you back, coming back to you for more and more work. So, Kaylee, what do you think that most freelancers do wrong that makes people like feel stressed out about working with freelance writers? Yeah. So a couple of common concerns I hear from people in the hiring positions for freelance writers are things like, well, we're not sure how well they'll really understand our company and our customers. And because they're not enmeshed in our company culture and part of our in-house team, they'll never fully get it. That's a common one I hear quite a bit. I also hear like, we just don't know. Sometimes we've had bad experiences with freelance writers where they didn't deliver on time or they were flaky or the quality just wasn't up to par with what we expected and what we paid for. The other thing is like, it's just easier to do it ourselves. So they don't want to take the time to onboard an external party. They don't want to have to basically like do a lot of handholding. I think that's what it comes down to is that they want somebody who can hit the ground running and just do the thing and they don't have to be on a bunch of phone calls or field a bunch of emails or answer a bunch of, bunch of questions and spend rounds and rounds of edits getting the piece to where it needs to be. So at least in the work that I do, those are kind of some of the common friction points that I hear when it comes to working with freelance writers. What about you? What are the things you hear? Well, I hear a lot of the same things that you hear, especially about being enmeshed in the company and the fact that a freelance writer is external. It it takes a lot of time to get someone up to speed. And what I hear is a company takes all this time to get someone up to speed and then they're flaky or they can't deliver, et cetera. I did think it was interesting what you were saying about clients not wanting to spend a lot of time on the phone and not wanting to do a lot of handholding because I've actually found, and this is partly because of the nature of the work that I do, that clients are actually happy to do that if they feel that the freelancer they're working with is a partner and can overall help make their life easier. So 
what I do at the beginning of working with a new client is I spend a lot of time on the phone. I spend a lot of time trying to understand who they are so that I can deliver exactly what they're looking for. And I can also help them build confidence in me that like I'm the right person for the job and I'm not going anywhere and I'm not going to flake. It can be very dependent on the work. Over and over again, I hear about flakiness. I hear about lack of delivering. I feel, I hear a lot about just like bad business processes where the freelancer doesn't really have any onboarding process. They don't really have any established way of doing things and that can get in the way. I've also heard, and I'm surprised you didn't mention this actually, and I'm curious if you've heard it, that sometimes a freelancer is like so set in the way they do things and they're not flexible enough that the company is like, well, that doesn't work. Like, I don't know, a really good example is payment terms. So- Mm -hmm. I have net 30 payment terms. I want every payment to, I want every client to pay me within 30 days of sending an invoice. And pretty much all clients can do that because they're usually on like a 30 day accounting billing cycle. But sometimes I have a client that can't do that for some reason. And I think there are some freelance writers that are like, oops, sorry, can't work with you. Bye bye. And for me, I try and be more flexible about things like that. Same with paying a deposit. Sometimes like the way the accounting works, it's like impossible or it's really difficult. And I know from working in-house that to get a deposit paid was like jumping through a lot of fiery rings. Hmm. So I tend to be flexible about some of these things. You know, I'm strategically flexible, but I do hear from companies sometimes that the freelancer wasn't flexible enough. Is that something you've come across or not really? Yeah. And I think from just having bad experiences with like net 30 in the past, I've become a little bit more rigid and like needing to have that deposit up front. So I'm often the stickler party who's like, I can't do this unless there's some sort of like show of faith on your front where you can give me a 50% deposit up front. And then moving forward, if we need to do net 30, I can be more flexible with that. But I need some sort, especially if it's somebody I've never worked with before, I need some sort of certainty around the fact that I'm going to get paid just because I've had bad experiences before. And I also, if they say like we're on a net 30, I'm like, is there any flexibility there? Can we do like a net 15 or can we set up something like, can I invoice early so we get the net 30 rolling as quickly as possible? Because I hate having to wait. I hate having to wait on those. And I know that there are services out there where you can get the money sooner and all that. For me, it's just kind of like, I don't know, I guess it's just a personal preference, but I too am strategically flexible. And especially if it's like an enterprise client where I know there's no way to work around it, or I know that it's going to be a lot of work and a lot of recurring work. If I can be flexible, then I will. I just always kind of ask the questions first to see if there's any way to kind of compromise and work around that. And sometimes there's not, sometimes there is, but I think it's a question worth asking sometimes. But yeah, I, I do hear that as well. It's like, The other thing that I find is kind of a red flag for me is that I think it's also good to be strategically flexible with the process, so the workflow. So one time I was really excited. I had a new client that I had wanted to work with for a long time, and then we started the onboarding process, and it was this super rigorous, in-depth, step-by-step, probably like 12 to 20 steps on the content creation side with lots of software, lots of requirements, and I was just like, this is going to make my work take three times longer. This isn't going to work for me. And they were like, okay, well then deal breaker. I was like, okay, that's the way it has to be then. Because I I just couldn't tie in that much time doing this 
extremely detailed process that was a lot of hoops to jump through really for no reason. It wasn't going to have a big impact on quality. It was one of those things where it was kind of like, well, this is how we've always done things. Like, this is just how we do it. Mm. And there was no flexibility. There was no like willingness to be open to my suggestions either. It was like, you do it our way or you don't do it at all. And so for me, I was like, okay, deal breaker on my end too. Yeah. Well, I think this gets at this, like being strategically flexible gets at this balance between a company is hiring you because you're an expert. They need you. Otherwise, they would not want to hire you. And because they need you, they also need you to tell them like, hey, that's not going to work for me. Hey, that process like is not going to produce the results we want. They're relying on you. And I also have seen companies complain that they hire freelance writers and they're basically doormats. Mm. And I've had this experience too with hiring subcontractors where I'm like, does this work for you? Like outline the process. I outline the tools we're going to use. And I say, does this work for you? And they go, yeah, boss, sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. (laughs) I mean, maybe sometimes they mean that. I'm not talking about like all subcontractors either. I'm just saying like, I really am asking that question because I don't know if my process works. Like I'm not that experienced in hiring subcontractors. Like I need to know if there's an inefficiency here that is making their job difficult and they don't want to do it, which is why I asked, not all clients will ask, but I think it gets to this point where like I am hiring these people for their expertise and I hire people because I want them to be a partner of mine. And I think our clients hire us to be partners and a partner kind of you know, is willing to stand up to you too, right? Like it to stand up for themselves. So there's this kind of balance of like, well, I can be flexible on some things and I can't be flexible on others. And I think individually that may vary. Like it sounds like for you, you're like not willing to be very flexible on payment terms. I may be a bit more flexible, but there may be other things that I'm less flexible on than you are. The other thing too, when it comes to working with freelance writers is that Getting back to that theme of not wanting to do a lot of handholding, kind of wanting a partner who can hit the ground running. If you don't have processes in place and you don't have a foundation of knowledge that you're building upon, that's going to be really hard to do because you're going to be spending a lot of time just kind of getting up to speed on things and feeling things out. And it's going to make the process take a lot longer. You're going to have a lot more questions. And while there's nothing wrong with asking questions, I think that there's probably a level or a point at which the client's like, do you really know what you're doing? doing. The questions you're asking me are making me feel a little bit alarmed that you don't know what you're doing. So I think it's important to to be able to have, like you said, an element of autonomy and a process so that you can take the lead a little bit and you can say kind of like, this is how I work. This is what I know. And having that confidence to go into those working relationships with, I know that you trust me because you've hired me as an expert to do this. I may have some questions. I may have some follow-ups, but largely like I got this. Totally. And it's funny because in recording this, I'm like, who is this episode for? Is it for those companies that think freelancers suck? Or is it for the freelance writers that you know, want to make sure that they don't suck to a company. Because I think that there's like myths we're trying to dispel for companies too that have this perception of freelancers as being like flaky and terrible. And to them, I want to say like, okay, you really need to vet the people that you're working Mm -hmm. with. Because I often find that they're not very well vetted, that they just sort of find someone on Upwork or wherever. And they're like, oh, you'll do. You have a degree in English. But I think it actually gets at at how you as a freelance writer represent yourself. 
how you talk about what you do like will help you attract the right clients that can appreciate the value that you provide, right? Like if you're marketing yourself as someone that's an expert in whatever area, then you need to find clients that will appreciate that you're an expert in that area. And it's one of the reasons why it's worth niching down, right? And not just being like a total generalist because the total generalist is the kind of freelancer that flakes, like a, a subject matter is too difficult for them. And they're like, yeah, and they just kind of nod off. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that happens. That's real. I think one of the other things that was really illuminating to me was I started getting more freelance gigs like year two or three of doing this full time when I started asking really specific questions that got to the heart of exactly what we're talking about. So I would go to the client and I would say, what can I do? What extra things can I throw in and include with my rate that'll make your life easier? And so many of them were like, nobody's ever asked me that before. But you know what? I hate uploading these posts into our CMS. If you could do that, that would make my life so much easier. Or something like, I have to run all of these posts through Hemingway app and Grammarly. If you could do that step for me and just verify that it's done and it's checking these boxes and make a note of it in the doc, like that would save me a ton of time. That's one step you can take care of. So asking those questions and looking for really specific responses is a game changer as far as like, that's a good freelancer. Like I want that person who's going to ask me that question and then follow through with the information that I've provided. Yeah. I mean, I've also asked who have you hired in the past and what was great about working with them and what wasn't so great? Because then I hear from the client directly about where they're at with sort of... Mm -hmm how they feel about freelancers. Because sometimes they're like, we worked with someone who was so awesome and she got really busy and couldn't help us anymore. Or sometimes they're like, we hired someone for web copy and they really flaked out on us and now we're nervous about this. And once have kind of taken their temperature, I'm also able to be like, okay, well, here's what we're going to do about that. So that doesn't happen again. And come up with a plan of like, we're going to have a, you know, if they worry about flaking, for example, you can say something like, we're going to have a weekly call where we do a project update and, you know, whatever it is, so that all the time you know exactly how this project is going. So I don't disappear for five weeks and then <laughs> never turn up again, right? Right. Uh, so I think like asking those questions and one way I talk about it is talking about it as how can I show this client that I'm a partner? And I talked about that a little bit earlier in this conversation, but I think what does it mean to be a partner? It means that you are working together. It means that Nobody is kind of the boss of the other one. I mean, obviously your client is paying for the work, but if you're in a partnership, then you're really working together to produce the best result as opposed to being like an order taker who the client's like, can you just do X, Y, and Z? And you're like, sure, sure, boss. <laughs> because I think the dynamic of that client freelancer relationship, it takes two committed to being partners, even if that partnership is not like we talk every day, mm-hmm. right? Like even if that partnership is just like, we have a shared understanding that you're going to get the work done that, <laughs> that I ask you to do. But I do think building some of that partnership at the beginning of a relationship can pay dividends later on, especially if stuff comes up, like you get sick, something's going to be late, or I, you know, some difficulties come up. And if you have a track record with that client, it's not a big deal. But if you don't, then that's an issue. And that contributes to their perception that freelance writers are flaky and terrible. 
Yeah. Proactive communication is a big part of that. And anybody who's in any sort of relationship knows that that's a recipe for success in any context. It doesn't matter client, service provider, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. If you can kind of anticipate the questions that they're going to ask and they don't have to check up on you and you can deliver, like you said, steady updates or like a video recap. Here's where I'm at in the process. Here's still what's left. Here's when you can expect X, Y, and Z. Even if it's just like a written here's a rundown of what I accomplished this week. Here's what's coming next week. Those forms of proactive communication where you're getting in front of the questions that are naturally going to arise, I think is a big factor in establishing trust with your clients as a freelancer that, hey, you don't have to check up on me. Like I got this. I'm going to keep you in the loop the whole time. I'm very much like going to handle this on my own, but I want to keep you included in the process and let you know where we're at. So I think that that's just a really simple trust builder and it's a great way to to distinguish yourself from other freelancers because not a lot of people are doing those types of things. Which is sad. <laughs> yeah, it is sad because it's just like a basic, uh, everybody knows how important communication is. So it's just like one of those things, sometimes I think you hear it and you're like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of this stuff can be templatized. So yes. I've seen some people that work with the same type of client, maybe on a retainer basis, and every week they provide their client with an update on where things are in the project. Like if you're an email copywriter and you're doing more email strategy, it might even be metrics for that week. How many emails did we send out? What were the open rates? Whatever it is. And that gets in like sort of a form email. I think like one of the things I was thinking about as you were talking through this too is like it's as simple as you get off the phone with the client and you send them an email with a bulleted list of what you took from that conversation. Yeah. So I always do this. Like I get off the phone with a client and I'm like, hi, so-and-so. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Based on our conversation, I will bullet provide an outline to you by X date. Bullet provide you with this research, blah, blah, blah. Bullet send you a list of blah, blah, blah. And then I say what I need from you, bullet, whatever, right? If that's, you know, so I give them that update and it shows that I'm on top of it, even though we just talked about it. Maybe we were even working from a shared doc where we were adding dates in our calendars together. But I think that kind of proactive communication um, and writing it down shows them that you're like on the ball, that you're going to hold yourself to these deadlines. And then I also try and provide updates like, midway through something like, hi, I just want to let you know I've been working on the draft. We're still on track for me to deliver it by Friday, right? Yeah. Um, And that even provides an opportunity where if you think you're not going to be able to deliver something on time, which I don't think comes up for you because you're such a great deadline holder, but it sometimes come up comes up for me is I can be honest and say like, I'm working on this. Here's where we are. I'm going to need one more day because X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. If As long as you're providing updates, clients are happy. And I worked in-house and I hired freelance writers. So maybe I, I kind of know both sides of the coin. One thing that was super helpful to me was when freelance writers just like told me what was on their plane. <laughs> like, hey, I'm writing these three posts for you. Even if they told me they were going to be late with something, I honestly didn't care. I just like wanted to like get a state of the union, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like what's even going on out there? Because I had so much on my plate. I was working with lots of freelancers at once. And I think what you said about templatizing it is really smart because even if it's like during an exit process where you ask a series of like three or four questions and have one of them be, what worked well? Maybe what could I improve for next time? You know, what can I do that would help me kind of stand out from the freelancers that you already work with? Or like I said, are there things that I can do that'll make your life easier? Asking those questions are 
not only a great way to improve your own processes moving forward with clients, but it's also, again, like kind of that voice of customer thing where you're tapping into, here are the pain points of the people I'm trying to get to hire me. By asking those questions, you figure out what those are, and then you can kind of reflect those back in your early stage client communications where you're trying to get hired or you're trying to catch the eye of people who could potentially hire you. When you can show them that you understand them and you know what they need, then they're like, oh, this is the person for me. Totally. And you mentioned it in terms of it might be part of your exit communication, but I think a lot of those questions could also be asked when you're onboarding a new client. Like, hey, what's worked for you in the past? What do you need from me to make your life easier? And that can be templatized in terms of like you send them a email like, hey, thanks for paying your deposit. I'm so excited to work together. It would be super helpful if you could answer these three questions or could you just tell me, you know, use it as an opportunity to get a little bit of information from them. I think there's so many opportunities within the process to try and get some answers to these questions so that you can better serve the client you're currently working with, but also future clients. I really don't have a whole lot else to say about this. I feel like we were really efficient in tackling like how to do this well and and also like why does this phenomenon happen where so many people think freelancers suck or are not a reliable source of, I don't know, like scaling up any sort of content production since we're talking about the world of freelance writing. But I don't know. Is there anything else that we didn't touch on you think we need to address before we wrap things up? The only thing that I would say to freelance writers is to make sure you are finding the right clients. Because I think that if you're working with someone who has so big of a chip on their shoulder about freelance writers that they're not willing to give you a chance, you may not be able to single-handedly change their mind, and that's not because of you. Like, I, I guess I would say, I think some clients are the problem. Like, the reason they hate freelance writers is because they're a bad client, right? And so no freelance writer can deliver. It's a huge red flag to me when I have a new client come in and say, we've worked with five freelance writers. None of them were good enough. And I'm like, Mm. I don't want to work with you. What do you think? Or are you like, I can change your perception? (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I mean, especially if they've had consistently poor experiences, that's going to be a tough sell. So I think it's important to kind of look for those moments within the conversation if you hear things like that. If you can get to the bottom of why those experiences were negative and you can address them and you get some positive response from that, maybe that's a point where you can make it work. But I think generally, it's like a thing where you eat cilantro cilantro four times. You're like, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. If somebody comes to you in the line at Chipotle and they're like, no, you should really like it. Here's why X, Y, and Z. It's got all these health benefits. You're still going to be like, no, I don't like it. Like, this is a fact about me as a person. I don't like this. That's a really strange example to give. But I think it's it's one of those things that just kind of becomes solidified in their mind with consistently poor experiences. That's a really tough person to convert back to the other side. Yeah. And I I think that as freelance writers, there is a lot that we can do to be way better to the companies and clients that we serve. I mean, I've heard from so many companies that they're like, oh, you wouldn't believe how many freelance writers have just like disappeared. Like, which is crazy to me that people just disappear. I don't really get that, except that I think maybe they might get overwhelmed or they said yes to a project and they didn't really have room or they just like didn't have good processes in place. Or like, I don't know, maybe a lot of writers like struggle with mental health challenges. Like, I don't know. I'm just trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. But like just showing up 
is going to set you apart. Like period, just showing up, being proactive with communication, delivering what you say you're going to deliver. I don't know. Even if there are writers out there that are better than you, if you are not able to show up, it doesn't matter. And I know there's a lot of freelance writers out there that are more talented than me in a number of ways, but I know they can't show up because they just can't because they're they're flying by the seat of their pants. And so a company would rather work with me. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where it's like why freelance writing has to be a business. Because if you're just sort of like, I'll take whatever comes, I'm a good writer. It's not going to work. You have to think about it in terms of like, this is a real business I run. And if like I ordered a meal from McDonald's for delivery and it didn't show up, Like that would be a major issue for the business. And it's like the same thing, right? As like a freelancer, like if you don't deliver what you say you're going to deliver, like that person has a right to be pretty pissed off. Especially if they've paid you. That's a whole other layer. That's like, that's real shitty. Yeah, right. That's like (laughs) super crappy. And I have had clients that are like not happy with the work that I've provided and I've had to figure out how to manage that. So when we have this conversation, I don't want it to be like every client that's worked with me has been like, yes, you were perfect and everything was angels and rainbows and whatever, because I have had challenging situations where Sometimes I worked with a client who I kind of had a niggling feeling was a red flag client and I did it anyway. And then they weren't happy with the work because of course they weren't going to be happy with the work. And then they didn't want to pay me. And then I was like, well, do I go after this payment? And I sort of knew the work wasn't as good as it should have been because I, you know, there was like a whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. Have you had that happen to you or do all your clients think you're like, I don't know, the, the pot at the end of the rainbow? No, I mean, I've had a few where like, usually it's with super technical subject matter. So I generally know my subject matter. But when there are things that are super technical, especially when it comes to like development side of things where it's it's very much like tech centric, sometimes they're like, you know what, this isn't this just isn't as in depth as we want it or need it to be. We want to use one of our in-house resources for this who really has a firm grasp on not just the tech, but like the benefits it delivers, the use cases, all of those things. That's where it's been like, okay, I understand. And I have to kind of bow out because I've I've given it my best stab. And they're like, we're still going to use this as a foundation. But moving forward, we're going to have a a really in-depth expert from in-house take the lead on this. That to me makes sense, you know? I think that there are multiple situations as a freelance writer where you're sort of like, hey, I might need to bow out for whatever reason. And there is dignity and grace in making that choice or accepting that choice if a client you know, decides that you're not the best fit. Like it's okay. You will be a good fit for someone else or something else. Yeah. And I think it's important not to take it personally and to just be like, I think that that's the right decision for both of us. So to not be like hung up on, I did a bad job or I'm not good at what I do. It was just like this particular situation, it didn't align and that's okay. That's a really great way of looking at it. Like even if you're counseling me on the situation that I was describing earlier, where I'm like, it was kind of a red flag client. I did the work and it wasn't as good as it could have been. I can still hear in my voice that I'm being hard on myself over that. But I think what you just said, you're reframing that and you're saying like, look, Emma, it was not a great fit for either of you. You tried and it's not a personal reflection on your worth as a professional, right? It was just an instance where it wasn't quite in alignment. And I think we need to give ourselves grace. Probably that that's going to happen occasionally. Thanks for listening to this episode of Freelance Writing Coach. If you want more tips, tricks, and resources for building your business, visit freelancewritingcoachpodcast.com. 
podcastedition.com provided editing and Ali Rico provided writing assistance. Thank you.